everyone. Welcome to the Tax Policy Podcast from GPA. This is Jonathan Stanford, Senior Vice President for External Affairs. Not your regular host for this podcast, but uh, given some uh, recent developments, excited to uh, join today's uh, discussion. And with us is our regular host, Kevin Klein, and uh, guest uh, participant, Alan Pazetsky. A couple of weeks ago, I had the uh, unfortunate, bittersweet conversation with Kevin. I've gotten an offer that he could not refuse, and so uh, he has graciously agreed to give us a few weeks to think through what uh, the future looks like for GBA, but uh, very excited for him. Uh, Kevin, we haven't uh, described it too much to the membership, so I thought we could use this platform to talk a little bit more about your future opportunities. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate the opportunity and appreciate the good word. I, I it is very bittersweet to be uh, moving on from GBA with the great team we have here, and I'm just very thankful to you and Nancy for the opportunity so far. But uh, I'm moving to a GBA member company, so not going too far, and I'm I'm looking forward to downloading these podcasts in the future and and using them for my own resources and and also um, participating in in all of GBA's programming as we move forward. Uh, I'm moving to Aptiv, which is a, a tier one auto supplier that is. Uh, an Irish headquarter company with the North American headquarters in Boston. And I'm actually moving up to Boston to take this role uh, where I'm going to be taking over the public policy portfolio for North America. So uh, expanding my my um, responsibilities a bit outside the United States and, and looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I just think back over the last couple of years, two and a half years that you've been with us, Kevin, you've been a tremendous uh, uh, asset for us. You've really elevated the tax advocacy uh, capability of the organization and helped direct a number of critical initiatives. GBA has a history of uh, having staff uh, leave for member companies, which I think is a sign that we hire good people. Uh, but obviously, uh, we're excited to have you remain in the family and look forward to having you collaborate with us uh, moving forward. Your departure does leave a big, uh, some big shoes to fill, and so uh, part of uh, what we've spent the last uh, week or so working on is trying to figure out exactly what uh, the future looks like. Obviously, tax policy is a critical uh, issue in, for our membership right now. Uh, it's an issue that we always uh, follow very closely and, and advocate on uh, rigorously. But uh, given the velocity of policy recommendations that are being espoused and the likelihood for movement as we head uh, later into the year, uh, obviously, we want to make sure that we are well covered. And so uh, I am delighted to be able to announce that uh, Nestle has agreed to Sakon Alan Pazetsky, uh, who is uh, familiar to a lot of people within the membership, having been with us for, worked with us uh, through his capacity at Nestle for decades, uh, to, who's, has agreed to come on board to help direct and lead our policy work in this area. And so, Alan, uh, welcome aboard. Thanks, John. Appreciate the opportunity. It's my first podcast, so uh, gotta see if I get through the uh, jitters. Um, you know, I also want to uh, express my congratulations to Kevin. I'm thrilled for this uh, opportunity for him, uh, and I'm also excited to get this opportunity for me. Um, I also want to thank Nestle, who's been very generous in allowing me to be seconded to GBA, uh, and uh, and then for my continued role with GBA after this comment. Um, so. John, I want to give a, a little information about me, especially for those who don't know me. I went to University of Pennsylvania, as you said, John, decades ago. I went to St. John's Law School and got my LLM in tax from NYU. I went to work for a large accounting firm for about one and a half years, and then I moved over to Nestle in 1990. 
where my tax focus started federally, ended up taking on state, but always inbound issues. And very coincidentally, at the same exact time, that's when AFI, now GBA, was formed, right back in 1990-91. And the issue that AFI was formed upon was, believe it or not, 163J, which is still the hottest topic probably on the federal and state side, um, other than you know uh, President Biden's tax proposals right now. Um, as some will know, Nestle was one of the founding members of AFI, which is why we had a, such a significant role. And I became intimately involved with, let's call it GBA, um, fairly quickly on 163J back in the day and other federal tax issues. Um, a few years after that, my role at Nestle expanded to include state. And with that, I also expanded my GBA role to include state. Um, I spent a lot of time with various uh, GBA people at the time, whether it be Meredith now, Evan in the past and others on issues such as combined reporting, tax haven rules, add back issues. And I was even the chair of the state tax committee when there was such a role. Um, so I got to say, I've really been involved with GBA for probably, as you said, decades, 30 years. And we've had significant success. And I say we, I mean, the, the members with GBA on issues such as Water's Edge in California, which was very big. New Jersey, which came after foreign companies where hundreds of millions of dollars were assessed on various companies. We drafted the combined reporting rules together in West Virginia, District of Columbia, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. And I also continued my federal lobbying work with GBA as needed, including TCJA, and now most recently with the Biden and the Wyden uh, proposals. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to continuing my work with GBA on all these issues. Yeah, thanks, Alan. I'll, I'll chime in here because you mentioned at the end there that you've been working on some of the federal issues lately, specifically around the Biden tax proposals. Um, and that's true. GBA has been doing a ton of meetings recently on the shield, potential changes to the beat, new global thin cap rules, potential return of 163N and so forth. And you've been in a lot of those meetings, um, dozens of them at this point over the past two to three months. One to just ask first question, what was your take? What do you, what do you think uh, we, we've been successful on so far? And um, and uh, what do GBA members need to be focused on coming out of those meetings? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I've done a lot of those meetings and there is a common theme, I think, is that it needs to be an education. I think people read articles, rhetoric, headlines, sound bites, and they don't know all the details. And I think with a lot of the staffers, I've seen that they're very new to their positions, maybe been there two to three years, four years at most. So they some aren't even familiar with the TCJA aspects. So I think it's really important that we explain the punitive effects of SHIELD and how it really can discourage inbound investment in the US. And I think we're getting the message through, but you never know until we actually see some legislation. Yeah, Alan, that's an interesting point you raise about uh, the turnover and the churn that happens uh, on Capitol Hill. The uh, interesting that you uh, your interactions discover that some don't even uh, remember the TCJA. Given the landscape heading into the fall, uh, what do you think will be some of the key themes that uh, will be uh, continuing to impress upon uh, new Hill staff? I think they need to understand, again, it's education. You know, the idea of a global minimum tax is all over the media. It sounds great, but it, it, it's a much more complicated and difficult process to get the 100, was it 137 countries now who've agreed to some sort of global minimum at 15% without any details. We don't know what the base would be, how to compute it, to have them really understand the complexity of all this and that the US 
really needs to be careful here because if what the, and we've had this discussion in the meetings, if the goal is really to force the world into a global minimum, do we want to do so by making the tax rate effectively in the U.S. so much higher with a shield where it will discourage investment? So is the way to get the world aligned, discourage U.S. investment, is that really the policy that we want to have? But we need to make the staffers aware that that's where it will go because modeling of various GBA companies has shown it doesn't really matter if the tax rate goes to 25, 28, 24, it's going to effectively be over 50 for many members if the shield is implemented as proposed. Alan, great uh, to have you on board. Kevin, we wish you the best of luck in all that uh, you'll be doing for one of our members. Alan, right. I have to say this is your first podcast, but I think you have a voice for radio, my friend. <laughs> well, I've got the John Stewart look, so we'll see if the voice can match. <laughs> well, uh, Kevin, I know you uh, got an uh, interview uh, coming up with, with Josh Odin, so over to you. Thanks, John. So as mentioned, we have with us Joshua Odins from Holland and Knight. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again, Kevin. Yeah, we appreciate it. Appreciate um, your frequent guests on the podcast and also our, our tax policy calls and uh, always appreciate the insight. And it's a pleasure having you. So so thanks for coming back. We got a lot to cover. Uh, there's a lot going on, on the Hill with this bipartisan infrastructure package or the BIF as it's um, colloquially becoming known. And then also a potential um, partisan reconciliation package moving forward where there might be more action on corporate tax cuts. These are issues that we've been following for quite a while now and GBA has been doing a lot of work on. So folks who are listening in uh, are probably familiar with um, some of the things that are on the table, but uh, would love to get from you an update mm -hmm. on, on where things stand politically and, and kind of the process moving forward as we move into the reconciliation piece specifically and, and looking forward to August recess and potentially a sprint in the fall. And then going from there, we can cover some of the uh, the more specific issues that might be raised in this, uh, particularly the shield, which is kind of priority one in the tax base for GBA at the moment. Uh, what from the shield might um, eventually find its way into any beat changes that could come if the shield doesn't actually get adopted uh, whole cloth. And then talk about the global thin cap rules, uh, potentially new section 163N and uh, other GBA priorities as well if we have the time at the end. So. Um, Josh, I know you're you're a creature of the Senate. You you know the reconciliation package really well. Uh, what what are you seeing for where things stand right now with both the BIF and the potential uh, partisan package? Yep. So with BIF, just a quick comment about its name. You know, BIF is the character from Back to the Future that has no redeeming qualities. Um, he's horrible in the first movie, and then in the second and third, he travels back in time to cheat on sports betting. He is not a redeemable character. Well, that is kind of the joke on the Hill is that there's not a lot of redeeming value about this package. However, uh, the status is, I'd say, there's a chance it can pass uh, if they can actually get, if the bipartisan group can produce legislative language. And there's a struggle to get offsets um, on the table that both, both Democrats and Republicans can agree to. And, uh, and so I'd say there's a less than 50% chance that BIF makes it across the finish line in the Senate. And then, of course, uh, Speaker Pelosi said she won't even consider BIF without a reconciliation bill. I'll point out that if BIF does not pass, and we should all, you know, in a sense, cheer for the spending side to pass, because if it doesn't pass, then it will add to the load of 
items that Democrats will want to address in reconciliation. So it, it will create further revenue pressures on the reconciliation process. So in a sense, I hope BIF in some form passes, um, but it's still an uphill battle. Yeah, and I, and I should mention there, Josh, before we get into the reconciliation piece, that uh, GBA has joined a multi-association letter um, in support of this package. So uh, we, we are right there with you. Yep, so once BIF either passes or doesn't, then the Senate will turn to the budget and reconciliation. And the budget will contain three reconciliation instructions. Uh, the first is on revenue, the second is a spending target, and the third is debt limit. Those are the three areas, by the way, where the, where Congress can pass a bill with a simple majority under reconciliation. The budget will contain language about how the, the tax writing committee should address spending, I'm sorry, uh, address revenue needs. Uh, but all that matters for purposes of reconciliation are the top line numbers. And mm -hmm. so that's what people need to focus on is it's a, it's a numbers game and it will be up to you, Senate finance and ways and means to hit those revenue targets. Mm -hmm. Right. So moving into how they're going to hit those revenue targets, uh, GB has been doing a ton of work on the shield. We've been hearing and uh, those of you who might be less familiar, the shield is uh, proposed to actually take the place of beat. The idea being from the Green Book that if the shield is passed, that beat goes away. But we're uh, more and more concerned as we've been having meetings that uh, the shield is getting a cool reception on the Hill and people are recognizing that it has real troubles and, and uh, is probably not workable in its current form. But there seems to be an appetite to adopt some pieces of the shield in potential changes to the existing beat rules. And so, Josh, can you shed a little more light on what that could look like and, and what you think the probability is of, of any of those things moving forward? Yeah, so, Kevin, I think we heard pretty clearly from some of our meetings that Senate finance Dems are interested in looking at the cost of goods sold exception under the beat. And the shield takes aim at that explicitly. I expect to see some iteration or some carve back uh, in cost of goods sold in a modified beat. I also uh, expect changes to the rate because the rate, the corporate rate is going to go up under the Senate and House plans. And so we don't know what that rate will be. Is it 28%, 25%? Um, that's a political and revenue driven question, but it will influence the rate of the beat. So I expect the beat rate to go up, perhaps changes to the base erosion percentage uh, so that it's everyone's in the shield, I'm sorry, the beat. I think it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of gears and that's where the revenue is. At the same time, there's a recognition that the way the beat operates, most tax credits are lost and a lot of the proposals Democrats are interested in pursuing involve tax credits. So I expect the credits will get fixed at the expense of other uh, of other items in the beat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just to go like maybe one layer deeper on one of the things you mentioned is the treatment of COG. So, you know, we have very strong arguments and I think that these arguments come 
came up when the beat exception to uh, for COGS was first formulated during TCJA. But there are strong arguments that um, taxing COGS payments is unconstitutional. So if you get to something where you're re-examining a COGS exception, and I think you mentioned narrowing it or or um, potentially um, basically narrowing it as opposed to totally getting rid of it, what is the argument? And how are, how are frankly, Senate Finance or, or other Democrats going to argue that portions of COGS should go away, but not all of it? Sure. And, and maybe, Kevin, it's helpful to describe what the problem is, according to Senate Finance. Yes, please. And the problem is embedded royalties. I think they have explicitly said that to us during meetings. They are concerned about, uh, about royalties that are capitalized in the cost of goods sold. And under 263 cap eight, that is a requirement. So uh, if taxpayers are not doing that, um, then I would expect uh, the IRS would take issue. So the way um, either the arguments uh, against reducing or eliminating cost of goods sold revolve around the 16th Amendment. The 16th Amendment is a tax on income, not on gross revenue. Uh, there is a provision, Section 280 Cap E, um, which probably most of you are not familiar with, but it is the provision that denies ordinary necessary business expenses for a person in a drug trafficking trader business. However, it allows for cost of goods sold, and that is a recognition of the 16th Amendment and concerns about challenges. Legislative history makes explicit reference to that concern. So that's the main argument. In response, um, the United States has had different corporate excise taxes in the past. And so the argument that Senate finance and if ways and means were to go down in this direction uh, would could make is that uh, this is simply a corporate excise tax. And so the 16th Amendment uh, limitation on COGS does not apply to corporations. So this would be a matter of first impression, obviously, for uh, for a court, and this would probably get litigated all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Now there is there is a Cogs exception, an exception to the exception for inverted companies for those that invert post effective date of TCJA. And look, I think that provision is uh, there's a good argument; it's unconstitutional. Uh, but no one is going to invert and then file a claim or a case to challenge the constitutionality of that part of the beat. So it, it has a chilling effect, and that was its intention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good, thanks. So um, unfortunately, the shield and the beat uh, question, as, as uh, complicated as that gets, is not the only revenue raiser on the table as we look at potential reconciliation bills. There's also been this proposal out of the Green Book regarding the, the return of Section 163N, or Global FinCap Rule, uh, which is a, a new limitation on interest expense deductions that would be based on your, your global group's EBITDA as opposed to just 163J, which is based on your, your domestic taxpayer's EBITDA. And we have uh, been raising this issue in meetings as well and, and also have produced some, um, some, some documents to argue against this change and how it would be out of step with the OECD recommendations on, on interest expense deductions. But Josh, what do you think is the the likelihood of that surviving into a package as of today? Yeah, so look, I think Congress is going to be desperate for revenue. Uh, the, 
The Green Book contains many ideas, some of which are easier than others to achieve, but ultimately, both tax writing committees are going to be desperate for revenue options, and there just aren't that many revenue options out there um, once you get beyond the rates. So 163N is something that both the Trump Treasury and the Biden Treasury, and actually even before that, the Obama Treasury wanted in law. And uh, so I think the I think the Treasury Department is going to push for this provision to be included. It does not raise a lot of revenue on its own. However, depending on, you know, does the shield get included? Does it not? Uh, what changes are made to the beat? Uh, it's possible 163 could raise a lot more. I think there's an interactive effect with one, with the shield. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so I think it is under discussion. I know that uh, it probably it 163N is a lot narrower than what was proposed by the Trump administration and Senate Finance and Ways and Means in 2017. Specifically, it is targeted solely at inbound companies. So I think it's important for GBA to continue pushing on this issue, um, continuing to sound the alarm that this would have a negative effect on uh, foreign direct investment in the United States. Mm -hmm. 100% definitely a priority for us moving forward and, and a real live live issue on the Hill. So thank you for the update there. Um, th also, we'll stick to the Green Book just for one more topic and then we'll move to some of our uh, our TCGA priorities that are still sitting out there, specifically the proposal to repeal FIDI or FDII, depending on who you're, you're speaking to and uh, preferred pronunciations. But what do you think is the latest on that and uh, chances of, of FIDI surviving? Yeah, so it's, I, I think that we're going to see a significant effort on preserving FDII. There are a lot of businesses that benefit some have small benefits, some have large benefits, but you know the United States has had some form of export subsidy in place for over 40 years. So I expect significant lobbying from both domestic and foreign-based multinationals on this issue, and it will force Congress to consider whether eliminating FDII makes sense. What it what the Green Book proposes, which is a plug for some research benefit, is really an apples and oranges replacement. You know, FDII is for manufacturing or services provided from the United States, and it doesn't require innovation or research, right? It could be making, um, you know, I, I don't know, cardboard and then exporting it out of the United States. That could qualify if it, if if it exceeds the QBI hurdle. So I, so I think that there's a, a mismatch in what the Biden administration proposes in the Green Book. And I, th I think we're gonna see, and we are seeing businesses really push hard on, uh, you know, work very hard to ensure that FDI stays in law. Mm -hmm. And I would just, uh chime in as well. In our meeting with House Ways and Means Republicans, this issue was brought up by staff, uh, committee staff, even outside of our concerns that we come in to speak about uh, regarding the shield in 163N. So it's certainly top of mind for those who are tasked with trying to defend the TCGA through this process. Now, yep. 
Yeah, moving on to um, some of our uh, our more longstanding issues that have still been uh, still sitting out there unresolved and uh, a big priority for GBA for a while now has been the upcoming EBITDA to EBIT cliff within Section 163J that is set to take effect on uh, starting for tax years after January 1, 2022. So that's not very far away. And then similarly, there's the Section 174 uh, R&D expensing issue that is sitting out there from TCGA. And these are both things that I think pre-pandemic uh, would have been seen as uh, expected fixes. And um, now, obviously, there's a new administration. There, there's been a lot happening um, in, uh, due to the pandemic and so forth. And so the path forward on both these provisions got a little murkier for a while. Perhaps it's taken a little bit longer than we expected. My own um, intel on this has still been that we probably won't see it on uh, see these fixes on any reconciliation bill or or the BIF. But Josh, what do you think the chances are that, that we do get them on one of those bills or that we get some sort of end of year package that deals with these cliffs? Absolutely. So there's a lot of interest in, I'll take one reverse order, 174. We have two bills, one introduced in the House, one in the Senate. The one in the House has over 60 members on board, bipartisan support. Uh, most of the Ways and Means Democrats are on that bill. So that's a huge signal that there's a lot of support for fixing 174 and ensuring that five-year amortization or 15-year amortization does not come into effect. Uh, 163J, on the other hand, you know, we were working with GBA um, with through API squared to ensure that we get a bill introduced and a bipartisan bill introduced in both houses and then get it included in whatever the first moving package is. I agree that it is not germane for purposes of BIF. It's not going to come into, into BIF. I think that is a very narrow bill with narrow revenue and tax targets. As far as reconciliation, if it's, if these items are included in reconciliation, then it will require potentially offsets, and that's mm -hmm. probably not attractive for purposes of these two provisions. If I were to look in my crystal ball, I think the more likely outcome is that they're included in an end-of-year package and not paid for as extenders. And then looking at the JCT list of expiring provisions perhaps we can get an extension of 2026 which lines up with a lot of the international and corporate changes coming online uh, so like changes to the beat rate etc come online in 2026 so perhaps that's how congress will line up these provisions uh, but we will but it's really gonna it's gonna take the business community is gonna have to devote time and effort to ensuring that these issues stay alive and do get included into any vehicle. Yep, for sure. So Josh, thank you for the insight as always. There's a lot going on. There has been a lot going on for a while. There will continue to be a lot going on as we move forward. So really appreciate your help in ensuring that GBA and its members stay informed and we will follow up on these topics uh, as they progress. Thanks. Kevin, I just want to say thank you. It's been an incredible pleasure to work with you and I will miss working with you on a daily basis. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate that.